Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. I'm Katrina Flowers. It is Thursday, September 2nd. You are nearly at the end of the week. On this morning's briefing, we chat to the general running Australia's vaccine program and he's got a message for all of us. If you've got urgency, you're in a hotspot or near a hotspot, I'd say get what you can get as soon as possible. And if that's AstraZeneca, absolutely get the AstraZeneca right now. It's what I've had. It's what my... 20-year-old son has had. It's a very safe, very effective vaccine and uh, will continue to be so. That's Lieutenant General John Fruin, who joins us for this morning's briefing. He's got a lot of good things to say about AstraZeneca, if you're a bit on the fence about it. That's in the second half of this episode. But before that, Antoinette Latouf is here with all the day's headlines. Melbourne is ending the week now knowing it will be locked down until the end of October. What we all have to do hasn't so much changed, but what we're aiming for has changed. We were aiming to drive it down and have cases falling. It's now on the advice of the experts that is not possible. So now we have to contain the growth of cases and the speed at which they increase and hopefully keep the number of people who are vaccinated ticking over faster than the number of cases. That's going to be challenging. It would be impossible if we opened up. That's Victorian Premier Dan Andrews there. Antoinette, a bit of a gear shift there, kind of abandoning like New South Wales. Wales has done that uh, zero COVID goal. I think it's an admission that it's just not possible. Not good news for Melbourne because once it passes September 23rd, that means it's reached its 235th day in lockdown. Yeah, that's brutal. And it will pass Buenos Aires in Argentina and set the world record for the most days in lockdown since the pandemic began. And I think that's a title no city wants. Yeah, whoever thought that would happen in Australia, right? Uh, some good news. Playgrounds are going to be reopening from tonight. I've got a lot of friends with kids. You will have to check in via a QR code at every playground in Victoria, but other restrictions expected to be eased will remain in place. And just yesterday, Andrews admitted the goal of lockdown isn't about driving those case numbers down anymore but just to stop them from rising. The state recorded 120 new infections yesterday, the highest daily figure in more than a year. Meanwhile, New South Wales health officials have issued urgent warnings for a string of regional towns. People in Barorina, Athurst, Cessnock, Dubbo, Ferry, Meadow, Katoomba and Parks have been told to isolate if their close contacts after a long list of sites were released overnight. 30 caravans have been moved into Wilcannia to help those locals self-isolate as COVID's Delta variant rips through the local Indigenous community. Premier Gladys Berejiklian said all states would eventually have to deal with the Delta strain. Yeah, and she's called on other premiers not to close the borders to New South Wales residents, but instead to work with the Commonwealth. I think when she's calling on other premiers, she really means the Queensland Premier, (laughs) Anastasia Palin. That's what I was uh, to work with the Commonwealth in opening the country once we hit 80% vaccinations. That's expected to be, what, around that October, November, December mark. Mm. Berejiklian also provided a snapshot of what life will be like once restrictions are lifted. There will be density requirements, there'll be QR code check-ins, validation that you're vaccinated, mask wearing in certain settings. So there will be obviously constraints and some restrictions in place, but compared to what we're going through now, life will be much better. It's that new normal that keeps on changing. And New South Mm. Wales recorded 1,116 new infections yesterday and sadly four more deaths. 
The federal government has been forced onto the defence over its JobKeeper program, with claims hundreds of millions went to companies while their profits doubled and in some cases even tripled. I think we kind of all heard anecdotal stories mm. about this, but here's some proof. An ABC investigation found $6 billion in JobKeeper was racked up by businesses that increased their turnover during both the June and September quarters last year. That data coming from the Independent Parliamentary Budget Office. And this is the figure that shocked me the most because it found almost 20,000 firms tripled their turnover. At the same time, they were earning $370 million in subsidies for the three months. So that forced our Federal Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, onto 7.30 defending the scheme. In many circumstances, the businesses that received JobKeeper desperately needed it, and without it, we wouldn't have, rece- wouldn't have seen the strong economic recovery. The unemployment rate today is at 4.6%. At the time, businesses who were profitable after qualifying for the payments don't have to pay it back. Look, and this is the thing with welfare payments, often they're imperfect. And I Mm. think, I don't, you know, and some people will say, oh, we need to scrap it, it never worked. No, I think we need to revise it. We need to make changes. We need to make those who are profitable pay it back. Uh, For many people, JobKeeper meant that they could feed their families. Yeah, it was a real lifeline. So yeah, you're right. It's And it's difficult to get a system right when you've never actually done it before. And passed it so quickly. I just think those figures are you know, a bit confronting, but I think the program was needed. And rather than defend it, uh, the government needs to come out and say, we got it wrong. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. Well, the controversial British talk show host, Piers Morgan, He's been cleared of any wrongdoing after calling the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, Princess Pinocchio. Now, Morgan made the comments after the Duchess told Oprah Winfrey she'd been suicidal and that the royal insiders at the time just ignored her. Is she deliberately lying? Is she completely delusional? I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. So that was pretty brutal, if you remember back to that Mm. at the time. Uh, The UK's broadcasting regulator says the program Morgan was hosting at the time, Good Morning Britain, wasn't actually in breach of the broadcasting code. So look, we're talking about technicalities here Mm. in the code, not whether or not uh, Morgan is actually a good human. I'll leave that up to the rest of you. (laughs) When Morgan was confronted by co-host Alex Beresford about his comments at the time. Morgan stormed off the set and he later quit the show. 51,000 complaints were made about the broadcast, which was, I believe, some kind of record. Australia has won another four medals in the pool on night eight of the Paralympics in Tokyo. Yeah, and Dylan Orcott and Heath Davidson scored silver in the men's tennis quad doubles. Orcott has his singles finals today. And he has his eyes on the gold medal. Yeah, he's a really big hope for that. Mm. Uh, Today we also have the road cycling finals, the women's field events finals and canoeing. All right, thanks, Antoinette. Uh, Coming up in just a second, we've got the general who's got one of the biggest jobs in the country at the moment. He's running Australia's vaccine program. And he says the best vaccine to get is the one in your arm. Australia reached a grim new milestone this week with more than 1,000 people losing their life to COVID-19. Yeah, but the good news is, though, we do have a vaccine and slowly but surely people are getting vaccinated. Currently, around one third of adults aged over 16 have been fully vaxxed and that number is rising. 
Reopening the country depends on high levels of vaccination. We know that we need between 70 and 80% of people to get fully vaxxed in order for that two key process where your state and hopefully the whole of Australia can open up. Now, on current trends, we're not expected to hit that rate of 70% till at the end of October at the very least and mid-November for 80% and it could be even slower given the lagging rates in some states. The government hasn't quite decided whether a vaccine passport will allow us to move around more freely to do things like go to functions and restaurants, but private businesses are increasingly demanding that we get vaccinated in order to fly or do things like go to concerts. Who is in charge of this and what are they doing to make sure we get vaccinated? Lieutenant General John Fruin is the man that Australia has put in charge of its vaccine task force. He was appointed by the federal government and his job is to make sure as many Australians as possible get fully vaccinated by the end of the year. He's made himself available to talk to us here at the briefing. General Fruin, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Annika. Pleasure. I just wanted to talk about when you first took over this mission. Obviously, uh, vaccination started back in February. It was a little bit slower, that initial rollout. So what did you see as the main reason for, I guess, shaking that up? Was it hesitancy? Was it supply? Why was it so sluggish to start with? Look, Annika, the... I came in uh, to the rollout at a time when, you know, a lot of the hard early work had been done. We tend to forget that this time last year we still didn't even know whether there would be effective vaccines. So there was an awful lot of uncertainty and an awful lot of doing things for the very first time. When I arrived, about 5.2 million doses had already been administered. So I think in terms of getting people vaccinated, it was happening. When I came in, I really just did a review of exactly where we were at. Um, and I've, I've said I've you know, been building on very sort of solid foundations, but we've just taken every opportunity to uh, accelerate the program from there. And I do think there was public perception around the rollout had sort of taken a bit of a sour turn as well. So we've mm. been working hard to try and, and bring that back around as well. A lot has been made about the government's decision to invest heavily in AstraZeneca initially. Now, as someone who sort of specialises, I guess, in what you do in supply and logistics and managing these sort of incredible tasks of rolling out a vaccine, a lot of that was in keeping with good policy. We make it here. We did have to rely on it coming in from overseas. It wasn't a vaccine that was made for profit, save like Pfizer. So I guess do you think the problem has been around people's hesitancy around AstraZeneca and could the government perhaps have handled it better in terms of those risks? Is it a good vaccine at the end of the day and should we go out and get it? Oh look, AstraZeneca is an absolutely fabulous vaccine and it's been one of the, the great workhorses uh, around the world in the vaccine programs. Again, I arrived in the program, I had a look, I saw a government that had put in place a strategy to acquire a range of different vaccines. One of those vaccines they had sought domestic production for. So all of that appeared very sound to me. Uh, and again, it's one of those things that we tend to forget that the, the intense global demand for these vaccines with the Pfizer-based vaccines, they were giving priority at that stage to the countries with 
terrible community transmission challenges, which was globally a very understandable and appropriate response as well. So that's how we ended up a bit further down the queue because we were not experiencing the sort of community transmission problems at that time. So AstraZeneca, unfortunately, what was allowed to happen was that Atagi made some medically appropriate but very conservative recommendations around AstraZeneca and I think that just was allowed to get a little bit out of hand the way that that was perceived. If you go back and look at the Atagi guidance, it was always that this is a very effective vaccine but there is a preference. If you can get this other one right now, do it but if the risk calculation changes, then of course you should always come back and and I think that sort of second bit was a bit lost and we got into a place where the reputation of AstraZeneca had taken some pretty substantive hits. Now, we've done a lot of work in recent months to, to bring that around, and I've been very encouraged. Uh, since that second Atagi ruling on the 17th of June, where many people thought that would be the death knell for um, AstraZeneca, there's been 5.5 million doses administered here in Australia since then, and then when the PM made his announcement about opening up AstraZeneca to under-40s, there's been... Almost 550,000 people have come forward to get their first dose of AstraZeneca since late June. So I think the AstraZeneca is still our workhorse. It's still more people in Australia have had AstraZeneca than Pfizer. But we're getting to a point now when additional mRNA vaccines, we'll have Moderna coming online soon, we'll have greater access to Pfizer. So I think there'll be a natural shift, although the medical advice around these vaccines is sort of changing week by week, and I still think AstraZeneca stands up very well. I'm told it's even the cool one to get at the moment. But <laughs> can we just go through some of that? For people that have been really confused by this whole thing, people like you and I probably um, stay across the daily announcements a lot more than mm-hmm. everybody else. If I'm somebody aged under 40 at the moment, I haven't been vaccinated, what's recommended for someone like me and where can I get the vaccine? Right now, uh, anyone can access AstraZeneca vaccines. That's above the age of 18. So you can go online and and I think in most places now you can pretty quickly get a a booking for AstraZeneca or you can turn up to a a hub somewhere and and get AstraZeneca. Um, In the ACT, there's been cases of, you know, same-day bookings or next-day bookings for AstraZeneca and there are lots of walk-in clinics and things now. We have now opened up the eligibility for those between the ages of 16 to 39 for Pfizer. That allows you to join the queue for Pfizer. So you can make a booking. In some places, that might be a week or two. In other places, it might be a little bit longer. And we do urge patients for the next few weeks while this new uh, group of demand for Pfizer sort of beds in. I would say that, you know, the best vaccine right now, it's individual choice. And uh, if you've got urgency... You're in a hotspot or near a hotspot, I'd say get what you can get as soon as possible. And if that's AstraZeneca, absolutely get the AstraZeneca right now. It's what I've had. It's what my 20-year-old son has had. It's a very safe, very effective vaccine and uh, will continue to be so. We know that you have to get two vaccines to be fully vaccinated. So we'll talk about those booster shots a bit later. But when you book in for that first shot, do they prompt you to make a second appointment? Is there any risk that you might get the first one and then not to be able to secure that second one? There is some slight variations in the booking systems across the states and territories. Uh, Some allow you to make the booking for the second one on the spot. Others, it's after you've actually had the the first dose, but there hasn't been any issues with securing second dose uh, vaccines and we manage the supply very carefully and the states and territories manage their supply very carefully to make sure first and second doses are covered. That's been a logistical requirement 
requirements since we, we started this program. So if you can get in for your first vaccine, then you shouldn't have any dramas getting a second one. Now, what does change is the dose interval between the two. There's a, a range of uh, dose timings that have been made. So, for example, AstraZeneca was between 4 to 12 weeks. 12 weeks was deemed optimal. So for many people, when they got their AstraZeneca, there was a couple of months' wait to get the second dose. But, of course, in and around hotspots, within the ATAGI-approved range, that has come down to as little as four weeks in some areas now. So you can actually get fully vaccinated quite quickly. There's a little bit of a drop-off in the... The, the overall efficacy and there's data available that sort of lays that out for people. But similarly with Pfizer now, there was an advantage at one stage where it was deemed that the Pfizer dosage was less to get that full effect of about six weeks. But also within the target ranges, the, the Pfizer is now, you know, it can be given in shorter durations as well to try and get more first doses through, for example. So that's something that people will encounter, but there's information available on, on the health website and other places where you can have a look at the, the dose duration as well. Now, looking overseas, we saw mass vaccination hubs, whether it be in Westminster Cathedral or um, huge sporting centres. Increasingly, we're starting to see some innovation here in that respect. We've got drive-through shots um, where you can wind down the window and and get it in your arm, and we're seeing pharmacists come on board. What are my current options now to get the vaccination, and what's that going to look like in a few months? Will we start to see more, I guess, innovative approaches, vans and communities, um, as we have seen in Europe? There's two networks that are operating at the moment. There is what we call the primary health network, which are the Commonwealth-supported pathways, and that's GPs, pharmacies, other sort of Commonwealth hubs, the Aboriginal uh, health services. And then you've got the state and territory clinics, and that's where a lot of the mass vaccination-type clinics are being done at the moment. But one of the things we've been doing with the rollout since I arrived is to look at bringing a greater number of what we call points of presence where you can get vaccinated, a greater diversity to those. So at the moment, we're busily rolling out uh, pharmacies and we've now got almost 3,000 pharmacies. I hope to have another 1,000 pharmacies operating across the country now now very soon. So they're doing AstraZeneca right now, but in about a fortnight, we hope they will be uh, armed with Moderna as well, which is another mRNA vaccine like Pfizer. So that will give people another you know, hopefully more uh, convenient option for some who, you know, it's difficult to get to a GP or they may not live near one of the the state hubs. Meanwhile, the states and territories are also figuring out what works best for them. In southwest Sydney right now, we're seeing a range of these very large mass vaccination clinics. This Sunday gone, they had a Super Sunday event. They'd had one the previous Sunday. Last Sunday, they did Super Sunday sports themed. So it was come in your sports outfits and they had sports stars there. And they were getting many thousands of people through those hubs in a day. You've you've mentioned uh, the drive-throughs now are working down in Victoria. Mm. We're also looking at pop-up opportunities as well. So we've got pop-up information booths. We've had them in supermarkets. We've had them at some sporting events where people can go and get information and make a booking and those sorts of things. Uh, in the fullness of time, I'd like to see pop-up opportunities increasingly for the vaccines as well because I want to bring diversity and convenience to it so that as we get into October and November, as we're starting to get up into those higher levels of national vaccination, but we're also starting to get into those perhaps people who are more hesitant still. I don't want it to be difficult to get a vaccine. I want convenience Mm. to be a feature of getting vaccinated as well. We're going to get booster shots at some point. How far later do we get those and when will we start to see that program rolled out? We're starting to see some of the science emerge overseas now around booster shots. The 
Department of Health here hasn't settled on the position for booster shots, but it will be somewhere between six and 12 months when uh, it's likely that a booster shot will be required. Uh, the planning is already fully underway uh, here in the Department of Health in Canberra about how the, the booster program will run from either late this year or certainly early next year. Vaccines have already been procured for that purpose. It's likely to be an mRNA-based booster shot program. But once the science is decided, there will be plans in place that people will be able to start sort of cycling back around again. And I'm responsible for getting all Australians who want a vaccine vaccinated this year as quickly as possible. I'm not responsible for the booster plan, but we're putting things in place that will make easy transition to life as normal and business as usual type booster vaccinations, along with all of those other annual flu shots and those sorts of things. So yeah, we're making sure that'll be a very simple uh, transition at the end, towards the end of the year. Lieutenant General Fruin, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. That was Lieutenant General John Fruin, who is the commander of the federal government's vaccine program. And I guess the message is pretty simple. The best vaccine is actually the one in your arm. On tomorrow's briefing, the new hustle. Don't just work harder, work smarter. Listener.